This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, helping the people of the world to live healthy lives. Welcome, everyone. This is The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you all for joining me today. I'm going to jump right into our segment. This week, I am joined by Dr. Lisa Ferrari and Dr. Carla Fry. They are clinical psychologists all the way from beautiful British Columbia. Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you for having us. I thought we would start off kind of the new year talking about teenagers. And as clinical psychologists, you work with clients of all ages. But I feel like our teenagers need a little bit of attention, and I want to discuss some of the things that are prevalent among that age group. But before we do that, I thought, let's define teenage. So what do we really consider teenagers? Because my 14-year-old thinks that she's beyond teenage years. She feels like she's an adult when she's not. So how do we define teenage years? Back when I was first in university, there was these defined stages. It was like zero to three, X, Y, Z, you know, three to five, so on and so forth. We don't understand teenager-ness like that anymore. We really uh, look at it more like the stage between childhood and adulthood because we know there's such variety and such a vast difference in when our kids enter that zone. There are some kids you'll see like, holy doodle, that that kid is nine and really is, you know, going through a lot of hormonal changes and showing a lot of interest in being 18 or so on and so forth. And then you'll you'll come across a 13-year-old or sometimes a 14-year-old that really wants to play with uh, some of the same imaginary toys or situations that they did uh, when they were quite a bit younger. We now don't call it an age from X to Y. It really is a broad sweep, and it depends a lot on the child's personality, how they were brought up, their own hormones, etc. Could be almost anything. Sorry for, for that broad sweep answer, but it's true. And that, that, that's why I wanted to actually ask the question, because I think we're all seeing it and we're all aware that it's, it's very non-defined lines between teenage, you know, from young children to teenagers to adulthood. I think it kind of it's kind of melting one into the other. And I thought it was really important to kind of verify that. Now, Dr. Ferrari, when it comes to this teenage, quote unquote, area and age, what are some of the things that we're seeing? What are some of the issues that people or patients or clients are presenting with either themselves or parents bringing their children in for? Some of it is is definitely lack of self-confidence for sure. That is something that sort of ties into, you know, when kids are coming in for for mental health issues such as anxiety or depression, right? That there is there is a a self-esteem component sometimes as well um, that is sometimes in sort of embedded socially. And so with Dr. Fry, do you agree that, um, you know, anxiety and um, a little bit of depression can kind of create this lack of self-confidence in these young, uh, uh, these teenagers? It's multifaceted. I'm not trying to play Switzerland here in my answer. Kids that are are, are raised to need to have approval through being the best artist or the smartest kid in the class or the fastest runner that I need to do something in order to be okay or I need to show something in order to be loved. There's also that element in in upbringing, which is why we talk a lot about praising the person more than what they achieve. But in terms of mental health concerns, certainly folks that are born with a little bit more of a 
anxious temperament or have a lot of genetic predisposition towards anxiety. So that's first degree relatives, second degree relatives that that might have panic disorder or just are generally quite nervous or have obsessive compulsive disorder or any of the anxiety disorders, it can lead to that self-questioning a bit earlier. Am I okay? Am I doing right? And and seeking of reassurance. And that we might see as a self-confidence problem, depending on, on how the child shows it. As a parent, sometimes we don't know. So Dr. Ferrari, if we don't know what we're looking for, what are some of the signs and symptoms that we should be looking for in order for us to try and help our child? Well, I think that one of the definitive signs, I think, for uh, kids with low self-esteem is sometimes they, they, they don't make the best decision. And so what happens sometimes is their decision-making isn't great. And then when the outcome is not what they want it to be, it tends to reinforce that internal critical voice or that negative voice that they have about themselves. I think it's really important for, for parents to attune to how their kids refer to themselves. Like, are they uncomfortable receiving a compliment, for example? Does that make them really uncomfortable? Is it too positive because they're, they tend to be in a more negative mindset a lot of the time? So parents can, if they can kind of be attuned to sort of how their kids see themselves, how they talk about themselves, and how their the decisions that they make impact them. If the decisions that they're making kind of energize them and they feel really good and really confident, it's great. That's what we want for our kids. But when they don't like the outcome of some of the decisions they make, I think it's I think it's a sign to a parent to really pay attention because poor decision making does roll into a lot of other issues. And the other pieces is the bullying factor and um, self-confidence, because um, sometimes when social relationships are not what you want them to be, you, you tend to start to second guess yourself, you know, when you're trying to connect because connection for teens is essential. The teen uh, peer relationship is one that's really, really important at this stage of development, right? And so when those relationships are strained, we can start to see uh, like an internalization, maybe like that, again, that critical voice, like I'm not good enough, I'm not popular enough. So parents can maybe pay attention. It's that vocalizing of, of, of uh, self-doubt that parents, I think, um, can pay attention to. One of the things that I find as a parent, and I talk to a lot of different parents every day in my own practice, I'm feeling like as a parent of teenagers, my role has slightly changed. And you said something that really resonated where my children's friends their relationships are kind of more important than my relationship with my children right now, or so that's what they view. So my children know that I love them unconditionally, that I'm always going to be there for them, that I will help them with anything. So I feel like they're confident about that, but their friend relationships and what their friends think of them and how their friends view them seems to be much more important than even what I think of them. Is this, is this correct? Is this really how it works? <laughs> It, yeah, well, it, it can be. And, 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 a, and a young person that's more um, questioning of themselves or have the, has this tendency to compare themselves to others, particularly others that seem cooler or smarter or to have more connections or more whatever it is, um, you know, that can be uh, that can be a sign of self-esteem issues right there. Right. But, um, you know, 
again, you'll hear us talk a lot about trying to start early. So whenever possible, talking to kids, not necessarily about is that a good kid to hang out with or is that a bad influence or is that maybe a really like great influence, talking more about like how do you feel when you're with that person? Like if if we can catch it when they're five or six or seven so that we can help them attune to like, do I feel like this person values me? Do this? Do I feel like this person wants to spend time with me? Do I, do I feel like uh, this person really respects when I say I want to play this game or I want to go to this place for this play date? Um, but let's say we let's say we miss that and, and our kid is 15 and and really seems to be um, attuning to um, their best friend or the group of friends and really uh, changing themselves, let's say, to fit in, so on and so forth, because uh, we see that, of course, all the time. What we want to stay away from as in, as parents uh, or leaders in any way is like, hey, that crew is bad for you, because what we're going to get is our kid lying to us, probably even in a kid that doesn't usually fib. What we're going to adopt to hear is the real deal. But it's really tempting to be like, please don't hang out with those people. Uh, but in most cases, that turns out to be a fail. It's 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 coming coming to our youth with some curiosity kind of thoughts like, oh, yeah. And how did you feel when so and so, you know, over drank and and vomited at the school play? Like what? How did you experience that? And, you know, like if you if you can come at it with no tone, no like presumption, like I hope you're going to say that that was very irresponsible. Um, you're going to be more likely to have your um, your child open up, but it's it's very it's a it's a very it's a tricky thing because as soon as your child feels like there's judgment coming from you, you know there is that strong alignment with with their peers, and they're more likely to be defensive or tell you half truths or whatever. So it's it's not an easy one, but but it, it's it's important to roll into those conversations with as little judgment and as much openness and curiosity as you can. Well, I, and I'm so happy that you said that. And I'm not going to lie. I've probably made that mistake about a thousand times and said, well, I hope you're not going to be hanging out with so-and-so this Friday or we've I've done it. And I can't lie because you just can't resist that urge. But I also fear that if I don't say anything, that they're just going to be oblivious to it. And that's the last thing as a parent that you want is for them to just think it's okay to hang around people who don't make them feel good about themselves or who are bossing them around to, you know, for lack of a better word. So Dr. Ferrari, how do I navigate this? Like, you're right. I should probably approach it as, um, you know, very gently and as a question, but sometimes it's hard to resist the urge to be a mother. How do I resist that urge? Part of resisting the urge is really understanding what the milestones are of this developmental stage, right? And and the milestones of this developmental stage are really about identity development, right? And uh, peer connections, Right. Kids, 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 like you notice, shift their attachment to their peers during this state. So if you really get grounded in that and knowing that they are where they're supposed to be, sort of in this friendship, figuring out who they are in relation to other and navigating social relationships, if you can get really grounded in that, I think 
it could suspend any kind of judgment and need to control the peer relationship and really just hone in on asking curious questions. Helping your child think for themselves by asking really good questions. And I like that you said that, having them think for themselves. I think that's the key. And as parents, we kind of want to answer all the questions and solve all the problems. But you're right. We can't be doing that. When it comes to low self-esteem, and if it's happening for prolonged periods of time, Dr. Fry, what are some of the long-term effects of a teenager who's dealing with, you know, self-esteem, low self-confidence, you know, inability to make decisions on their own? What are some of the long-term effects? That could go down a lot of pathways. Um, You know, rarely does a youth hit 18 or 19 and, or 20 and be like, boing, okay, I love myself and, 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 and know what they want and know what they, what they think. It usually bridges into adulthood if there isn't ways for them to figure out who they are or how to cherish the special parts about themselves, the, the quirky part and so on and so forth. So, you know, and, and, adult, let's say a young adult between, you know, before 25, who still really questions themselves a lot, what you're going to see is them getting getting into uh, probably poor relationships. Um, You're going to see them uh, guessing and second guessing where they go to school or the kinds of jobs that they get because they will likely be shooting for something that is not actually them, i.e., you know, not really a good fit. They just think that it would look good and and this particular degree or this particular job or undershoot. Um, you know, some some people who feel like I, I can't or every problem that happens in my life is because of me and everything good that happens to me is because of luck or somebody did me a favor. They're they're more likely to set their standards below what they're capable of in terms of the choices in in the in their early years. If it's a chronic a situation where a person puts themselves in more and more relationships that are not healthy for them. That's when that's when we see uh, depression kind of uh, symptoms starting. Sometimes that's when eating disorders take hold. Uh, the the things that are really uh, self destructive, not necessarily on purpose. Anybody's doing some something self destructive, but that's what it leads to when a person's whole pathway is some version of I'm not good enough. And that's where I think most of us parents we kind of fear that if we ignore the lack of self confidence and the lack of self esteem, that that's the path we're going to lead our kids to. When we come back, how can we as parents help our teenagers overcome low self esteem and low self confidence? This is the Wellness Prescription on 105. Nine the region. Stay with us. Connect with us on Twitter at 1059 the region or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 1059 the region. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 1059 the region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Carla Fry and Dr. Lisa Ferrari were giving us insight into what causes low self-esteem and low self-confidence in our teenagers. As parents, guardians, we're always looking for tools to help us navigate these years with our children. 
So Dr. Ferrari, it's always my first inclination to blame everything on social media and threaten to take away devices and limit time using them. Is this part of the solution? Uh, Absolutely not. It's not part of the solution, but it seems like it should be. Superficially, it does seem like it should be. And and I think that a lot of parents uh, do threaten it a lot and some actually do carry uh, that out. And, and I can see why, because social media holds a lot of currency for their kids. And when, when parents feel like they're at a loss, uh, it makes the most sense to them to take something away that, it sh- that, that their child, uh, that their teen holds as valuable. Right. So, cause we're all looking for impact, right. And sometimes other strategies that we use, we don't think that it has the kind of impact that we want it to have. The danger of taking away the social media piece is that if we, if we think about, again, teens as being social beings and wanting connection, um, that arena, that, that platform is where a lot of kids get the connection, right? From, however, Having said that, we can also see the dangers, right? Those connections sometimes aren't healthy ones, especially if there are issues of low self-esteem and low self-confidence, you know, that poor decision-making can be made in within the social media platform or context, right? And so um, there are risks that do come with using social media. And that's, that's something that, you know, we talk to parents about tons in our in in therapy sessions and we we try to start that conversation when the kids are much younger right than when they're fully into their teenage years yeah in the moment it seems like a really good idea to me as well but i'm thinking we I I like to have conversations with my children about the use of social media. There are uses for it, and it's important for many things. But I feel like we also have to make them aware of the, you know, adverse effects of being so engaged in social media. And my daughter's 14, and thank God she's not a posting person. Like, she doesn't post, but she's on it. And she knows that my rule is I kind of have to approve what you're posting or just be very careful what you're posting. Is that is that a reasonable request as a parent? It depends on the age of kids and the personality and the connection that you have with your child. Sorry about it. it depends. It depends. It depends. But it really does depend on these variables. When we're talking to our kids about social media, it's important to try to get to a place where you can ask things like, hey, when you're on this feed or on this platform, how do you feel? Do you, do you have do you have certain people that you like to follow or certain activities that you like to follow that when you put your phone down, you kind of feel charged or inspired or you're in a good mood? And are there other feeds where you feel kind of that FOMO, like I wish I was doing it or I wish I looked that good or I wish I was that cool? You have choices. I'm not going to micromanage every every, uh, feed that you look at. But please be aware of how you feel and ask yourself what you want from your consumption of social media for that chunk of time. So there's that sort of a conversation. But in terms of, you know, managing what what your kids post, you got to be able to figure out how much you can trust trust your child and and how much they're getting from from their social media, i.e., you know, similar to what Dr. Ferrari was saying earlier. What what is it that your child is wanting to do with the post? Like, 
are are they wanting to brag? Are they wanting to inspire? Are they wanting to look better than others? Are they wanting to share information? Are they wanting to let other people know them better? Or are they are they trying, you know, what what what's the goal? And so when when you can talk about those things, and of course, not every kid wants to talk about that. There's lots of kids where you could enter into that kind of conversation is in, in their best window of mood and and the most kind of like low key and gentle and you're going to get like nothing. Right. So um, it, it, it's hard. It's not a one size fit all kind of an approach that we could possibly give you. We would we would never say that. But but trying to get into a place of like, why are you posting and who's your audience? Who's your who's your hoped for audience? And what what are you trying to land? You know, obviously, the younger the, the, the child, the more that you're going to want to be like, check with me first. Or can we talk about it afterwards? You want going to want to be on their on their social media the most uh, that you possibly can. But when we're dealing with a 17 year old, chances are they're going to be posting what they're posting. And I, I get I hear this among my friends who have children the same age as mine. Um, I think this essentially leads me to the big question. I'd like to get both of your perspectives on what can we do as parents to help us navigate these years where if we're noticing lack of self-confidence or if we're trying to avoid it, what are some of the things that we can do as parents to nurture them so that they don't feel indecisive or lacking something or less than the next person? What are some of the things that we can do? Both of your perspectives would be great. Well, I think play to their straight, their, their strengths, play to their strengths. I mean, um, I, I, you know, in our culture, we tend to gravitate towards kids that are great at, at grades or great at sports or, or great at sort of like um, uh, the, the achievement based stuff. But uh, what we know through the study of human happiness and uh, strengths is that there's a lot of strengths that we in the West don't necessarily um, uh, covet as, as clearly as uh, we should when we're looking at uh, studies that look at people who are very, very satisfied in their 50s or 60s or 70s uh, and jumping back and figuring out how to help our kids. Well, kid, people who have high life satisfaction appreciate their humor and appreciate that they're good at appreciating beauties and appreciate that they're good at, let's say, being the friend that will not tell other people's secrets. Appreciate all a bunch of subtle things that our kids might not directly uh, be able to understand about themselves, because certainly the greater culture doesn't really focus on those things. So my part of that answer is play to their strengths and help them to see their strengths. And, you know, and I think that as parents, a lot of parents do. A lot of kids are in activities, right? These are these are experiences that we can give our kids. And um, whether they're school-based or out of school, where we are playing to their strengths, we're helping them to feel, um, participate in something that makes them feel good, that they're happy doing, but also build their confidence in a particular area of their life, right? Now, the kids that, the kids that are struggling with their self-esteem might do a little bit more social comparison, like I didn't get as many goals or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but parents, um, what parents can do is coach, right? Again, asking those questions, right? Asking, being more curious rather than saying, oh, but you played well anyways. Again, tapping into how do you think you played, right? Getting, getting them to draw 
on the things that they felt that they did well. Because their inner critical voice is not highlighting the things that they're doing well. Their inner critical voice is only highlighting the things that they think are shortcomings, right? Their own personal shortcomings. So a parent can ask questions to help kids identify, right, the things that they're doing well. So I have a boy and a girl, and and it doesn't really matter because we parent the same. But what about even acknowledging that, you know, my one child, doesn't matter the gender, is so loving and so nurturing? I mean, I like to encourage those things as well because that makes you a really good human being. And knowing that about yourself, that might make you a little more confident in being a super good friend or a super good sibling. Like, that might make you understand that you are a superb human being above having skills and all that. Is that something that I should be encouraging in my children, that they're lovable, that they're kind, that they're caring? Yeah, I, I see. Yes, I see where you're going. With it. I, I would actually, rather than encourage it as a parent, or I would, I would encourage parents to model it because oftentimes kids that have low self-esteem or have self-confidence issues are often kids that don't feel worthy and sometimes feel very unloved, right? So if you've got a parent that is emotionally distant, going to perpetuate that feeling of unloved, feeling unloved and lonely, right? So I would encourage parents to model exactly what you're describing rather than encouraging it in your kids, show your child. I love that. That makes the most sense. Yeah. And now, as a parent, and you know, we're all there, we all want to solve the problems, we all want to do what we can. But sometimes we need that professional help. So we need the help of, you know, professionals like yourselves. When do I know as a parent that it's time for me to seek professional help? One guidepost is if you notice something that's significantly different over a relatively short period of time. It doesn't have to be the prototypical, you know, eyes down and crying and kind of like um, irritability. But we we definitely do see that as a, as a change sometimes. But when when you find that you know, like, wow, they just don't seem themselves, and and I and I don't know why they're they're withdrawing. I can't figure it out. I know my child better than anybody, but I can't quite put it together. And they're not really saying what's going on. They're sort of like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, but you know, it's not fine. Th those are things that are more subtle. I mean, the more obvious things are easy to read, right? Like, hey, uh, mom, I really want a therapist. Because we get that. We get that as young as eight and nine and 10 sometimes, right? Um, but I know Dr. Ferrari will have some thoughts on that too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the part for for from my perspective, the biggest risk factor I think is the social isolation and feelings of loneliness. And I think that if you're sensing that your child's incredibly lonely, feeling quite disconnected, um, those would be those would be really strong indicators that um, that having them seek professional help uh, could be beneficial. And I think even just peace of mind, especially if your kids aren't talking to you as a parent, just knowing that you're facilitating um, a scenario in which you're you're your um your child can actually talk to somebody else other than you 
given that you're talking to. And I feel like I like the idea of having, of allowing my child to speak to somebody else who might provide a different perspective or might, you know, have a different, you know, who's completely removed and separated um, from the family dynamic and will kind of give them a little bit of a, you know, different outlook on how things should be and could be. I cannot thank both of you ladies enough, Dr. Fry, Dr. Ferrari. It's always a pleasure. I'm sure that all the parents out there are going to be thrilled with all of your tips and advice. But if listeners want to learn more about you, um, I know you're on social media. You have a fantastic website. If you could provide all that for us, that'd be great. Yeah, you bet. People can track us down uh, via uh, Instagram at Clinically Happy. And our website is also very similar, easy to find. It's clinicallyhappy.ca or clinicallyhappy.com. Thank you. And you can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Machiella or my website, claudiamachiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at healthyplanetcanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.